Welcome to the St George's Leeds Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy the talk. Good evening. My name's John, one of the clergy here. Um, in particular, I head up Lighthouse. That's not the reason I'm wearing the T-shirt here. It's because I was wearing a shirt and then spilt loads of oil on it, and I had to find something to wear, so here we are. Um, I'm... Worship band tonight, brilliant. Um, do the worship band have a name? If they don't, I'd like to give you, give you one. Livy on a prayer, worship band. Yeah, that's good, isn't it? Now, I asked the band earlier if they could prepare a piece of music, which, come on, come on up, which is now, now. <laughs> Pair of, a, a, a prepare some music where I would give them a word and they have to come up the music to go with it. This is what we often do with Livy when she's uh, at Lighthouse. And I gave Livy the word. In the past, I've given her hope, peace, lament. And today, I gave her the word euangelion. Yeah, she looked at me like that. Now, in the New Testament, the word translated good news or gospel is euangelion. It's a word of great significance. Euangelion is not just good news in lowercase. Good news, I'm having spaghetti carbonara for tea. No, I mean, I do like spaghetti carbonara, but that is not euangelion. No, euangelion is good news in capital letters. It's a declaration of good news that the world has changed. It's a public announcement that demands a response. In the Greco-Roman world of the first century, from where the New Testament comes, um, uh, people would go into marketplaces and declare euangelion. People would hear, there's someone arriving in the marketplace, they're declaring euangelion, and someone would stand up and they'd say, euangelion, there's a new emperor. Or, good news, the so-and-so battle has been won. It's a public announcement that is an invitation for the hearers to celebrate. <clears throat> well, the early Christians, they proclaimed the new Angelion, the good news, the gospel, and they believed it had power. And the content of this new Angelion is the story of Jesus what we may call the King Jesus Gospel. So, for a few moments, now you know what euangelion is, we should be all right, yep. I want to share with you euangelion, the good news of Jesus. I'm gonna go through his life, and then at the end of this sort of bit, I'm gonna be reading from the end of Luke's Gospel, which talks about the ascension. Okay, so we all know what we're doing. And there might be a bit in this euangelion where you need to sing. We'll see about that. So, leave you on a prayer. (laughs) Over to you guys. Thank you. Two thousand years ago, Jesus walked this earth as embodied and incarnate love. God in the flesh. The Bible says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son 
And this Jesus, he reached out to those who were on the margins. He would touch the untouchable. He would love those who thought they were unlovable. He'd speak hope to the hopeless. And moved with compassion, Jesus brought healing love to those he met. In him, the blind see. In him, the lame walk. In him, the oppressed are freed. In him, shame is removed. Sins are forgiven. And the broken, they are blessed. Jesus, love in the flesh. Jesus, a love that makes a difference. In a world where people are spiritually hungry, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In a world where people live in darkness, and we still do, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In a world where death stalks the land, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He proclaimed and enacted the dream, the hope of the kingdom of God. And after three years of a public ministry, this Jesus was arrested for a crime he did not commit. And he was sentenced to death. The Bible says this, that God demonstrates his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was led up a hillside. He was nailed to a cross. And even as Jesus died, he embodied love. And he turned to those who did this to him and said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And then Jesus, he breathed his last. And we may ask, does love win? Is death stronger than love? Is the grave all-powerful? Is Jesus the man he claimed himself to be? Is the Roman Empire actually greater than the kingdom of God? And all was silent as they took the broken and lifeless body of Jesus off the cross and laid him in a tomb. Hours passed. Days passed. And then, and then, three days later, God raised Jesus from the dead. He was raised to life. He is the King of love who was raised triumphant. Evil, chaos, and the grave, they do not have the last word because Jesus has dealt the death blow to death itself. Oh
Lord Jesus, he met his disciples and he said this, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And then picking up the story from the Gospel of Luke, Jesus spoke to his disciples and said, you are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And when Jesus had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. That's the Evangelion, the story of Jesus. We never quid, did quite work out how we were going to end this one, did we? No, so let's just, no, we've just ended it. There we are. So, round of applause for Livy on a Prayer Band. Please do take a seat. Do take a seat. So, we're focusing in on the ascension. Three points. The first one's a bit longer than the others. The first point I want to make is the enthroned, in the ascension, we have the enthroned king who reigns and rules. In the ascension, we see that Jesus returns to heaven. He is installed and enthroned as king in the heavenly realm. It's the coronation of the world's true king. So what is heaven? What is heaven? How should we think about heaven? Well, we shouldn't think of heaven as being a geographical location which is a long distance away, almost as if, you know, astronauts at some point will discover heaven. Guess what we found? No. We should think of heaven as uh, theologian Professor N.T. Wright says, as God's dimension of present reality. God's dimension of present reality. Let's meditate on this mystery a little more. Heaven, God's space, it's difficult to articulate. It's the realm in which God reigns. It's the home of holiness, the gateway to glory. It's the place of presence and proximity. It's the operating system for a world of shalom and wholeness. This divine dimension is almost inconceivable to us. But it can, at times, 
overlap with our space, with what we may call the human dimension, although obviously we share this space with a whole range of non-human worshippers, mammals, birds, fish, insects, etc., etc. In the Celtic tradition, they use the phrase thin spaces to talk about geographical locations in which God's presence draws near in a very close and tangible way. I've had several people say to me that last Sunday here was a place which was a thin space where God's presence was powerfully here. I can remember when I was at the Vicar Factory, ooh, what, 15 years ago, at the Vicar Factory, and we had to sign up for a prayer slot for 24 hours of prayer. So me and my mates, we thought we're going to go for midnight. And literally, we were at the Vicar Factory going to 12 o'clock for our slot, and we were hooning about. Yeah, um, we were just, we were wrestling outside, pushing each other and, you know, having a right laugh. And then we opened the door to this chapel and the people who had the time slot before were a couple of old ladies. And we opened the door and it was holy. Heaven was close. Words cannot describe, even now as I tell you this, I'm feeling the goose pimples. It was like there was a cloud in the space. And so my mates and I were gone from wrestling to suddenly joining these two old ladies on our knees, praying, heaven draws close. Now when Jesus is enthroned, it doesn't mean that Jesus is now distant and absent. You know, he's simply waiting there in heaven, waiting for us to die so that we can join him. No. Jesus is enthroned as king in heaven, and he calls his church to enact his kingdom here on earth. That's why we pray, Lord, let your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The holy mystery is that the enthroned king, Jesus, has access to heaven's resources, almost like that they can be poured down into our human existence until that day when heaven and earth, God's dimension and our dimension are joined together. In the Jewish world of the first century, the language of thrones was used to describe heaven. Let me share with you a few verses from the New Testament which pick up on this. In Philippians 2, verse 9, we read, Therefore God has exalted him, Jesus, to the highest place, and, and have given him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. What Paul is saying here is, Jesus is the world's true Lord and King. Similar thing is said in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 19, when it says, When the Father raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. So the resurrection isn't the end of the story. It's when Jesus is seated, is seated in the heavenly places. And then Paul continues, Jesus is seated in the heavenly places, places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. For the Jews of the first century, this is astonishing. It's a transformation of monotheism. 
For it's saying that Jesus, the human being, shares the identity of God and sits upon the throne. You see, the astounding conviction of the early church is is that Jesus was and is the embodiment of the God of Israel, Yahweh, and worthy of all worship. We kind of know this, but maybe as we're over-familiar, we just need to pause at the mystery of this, that the friend of sinners is the holy God. That the good shepherd is the great I am. That the one who washes his disciples' feet is the creator and sustainer of the cosmos. And the one who was tortured and nailed to a cross is the image of the invisible God. In the time of Jesus, the Roman emperor and the Roman empire, they thought they were the bee's knees technical expression. They thought they were the name above all names, the centre of the cosmos. In our world, corporations, financial institutions and brands can see themselves as dominating the globe through globalisation, consumerism and unrestrained capitalism. These brands and names, they seduce us and they entice us to live as if they are the only shore in town. So in the first century, every day you're being reminded almost like the Roman Empire is all that is. In our day and age, it's not that. Yet we know that these powers and principalities are not always a force for goodness. That they often wield their power in a way which fuels ecological destruction. But brothers and sisters, hear the Evangelion. Hear the good news, the King Jesus gospel. Jesus is the name above all names. He's the brand, or the kingdom of God is the brand above all brands. The ascension of Jesus and his glorious enthronement remind us that the true king, the true Lord is Jesus. And he rules and reigns with self-giving, sacrificial love. In a world of despots, dictators, and I've added this line in this last week, and dodgy politicians. In a world where we see that power is wielded as control, where power can bring suffering, we find in the ascension of Jesus a political theology. A theology with backbone. A King Jesus theology that doesn't retreat into a spiritualizing irrelevance, but rather speaks into all spheres of life. Jesus is higher than all powers and principalities. And it is to this king, to our saviour Jesus, we pledge allegiance as we are called to embrace and enact his reign in a lost and broken world. So the first point is the enthroned king rules and reigns. Quick look at Eve. She's thinking, if this is your first point, we're going to be here till midnight. The next two points are shorter, and I'll talk more quickly. Second point is this, is the enthroned king brings the blessing. So our king, Jesus, is on the throne. He's worthy of all worship. In the book of Revelation, it tells us that Jesus has tattoos. And they say, king of kings and lord of lords. And so we may ask, well, if he's the king, what's his approach to us? 
Is he a king who ignores us? He's high and lifted up, and we are face down. Or is he a king who has a big stick, and from heaven, he's just waiting for us to step out of line? (coughs) No, he's a king whose arms are outstretched in blessing towards you. Did you pick up that on, from the reading we had earlier? When Jesus is going to heaven, it says he stretched out his hands towards his disciples and he blessed them. And as he was blessing them, he went into heaven. What's the last thing the disciples see of Jesus? His arms outstretched, a blessing for them. That's Jesus' disposition towards us. We have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In Jesus, the hope, peace, and joy of the kingdom of heaven is mediated to us. In Jesus, we, you, me, we're blessed to be a blessing. In Jesus, and by the power of the Spirit, we can have a taste of heaven here and now because Jesus is for us. First point, enthroned king who rules and reigns. An enthroned king who blesses us. Final point, we have an enthroned king who prays for us. In the world of the Old Testament, God dwelt in the holy of holies in the temple in Jerusalem. And once a year, a high priest would go into that space and represent the people towards God. You can imagine some people getting the high priest before, look, when you go into the Holy of Holies, can you mention, can you mention my name? Can you do that? Well, in the book of Hebrews, the ascension of Jesus into heaven is also the ascension of Jesus into the Holy of Holies, into the heavenly temple space, because Jesus is not only our enthroned king, he's our great high priest. And the book of Hebrews says this, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him. This Jesus is able to save completely those who come to God through him, because he always lives to intercede for them. Jesus, the high priest, is in heaven right now, interceding and praying for us. A couple of weeks ago, I met uh, Prince William down at Buckingham Palace, and I was told just before I went into this sort of the throne room, it's called, look, you'll have a conversation with the prince, and when the conversation's over, um, he'll shake your hand, and that's your cue to disappear. And I thought, okay, I'm a little bit nervous about this. Little fact that I'll tell you, I'm not that into sport. Sorry, sports fans, but this is important for the story. I'm not into sport. So I go in and I see uh, William. He starts to talk to me about Lighthouse. I know about Lighthouse. This is great. So there's a bit of back and forth going on about Lighthouse. And then he turns to me and says, so how's Leeds United doing? I don't even play cricket. I mean, this is... (laughs) I didn't say that, but I just went like that, and he shook my hand. That was the end of the conversation, and I went, I went, I went on my way. But imagine this. Imagine this. That as he's shaking my hand at the end, he says to you, says to me, I'll be talking to the Queen about you, John. 
I'll be talking about the work of Lighthouse to the Queen every day. Know this, we want to support you and all the resources of the Crown are available. And you know what, John, I'll keep talking to the Queen every single day. Well, that would be a big deal, but a far bigger deal is that in the heavenly realm right now, the enthroned king, the great high priest, is praying to the Father for you. You may be trapped in cycles of sin. Jesus is praying for you. You may be going through storms. It might hurt like hell. Jesus, he's praying for you. You may be discouraged and doubting the goodness of God. Jesus is interceding. He's mentioning your name to the Father. You may struggle to raise your hands in worship or open your lips in prayer. The enthroned king is praying even when you don't have the words. You may be overwhelmed by the sin, suffering and injustice of the world. Know this, Jesus is interceding and praying for you. You and Gelion, good news, our king is in heaven, he's high and lifted up. Thank you for listening to the St George's Lead Sermon Podcast. For more talks or information, visit stgs.org.uk.